Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This week's podcast is brought to you by my sponsors and patrons at patreon.com. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Sign up today and get a shout out on the podcast. More benefits and info can be found at patreon.com slash Daryl Johnston. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Highway Walkers podcast. My name is Daryl Johnston and joining me today is Dr. John Viner. He is my uncle, but he is also an infectious disease specialist from Dubuque, Iowa. He is a multi-award winning physician. He's a fellow of the Infectious Disease Society of America, a fellow of the American College of Physicians, a member of the Finley Health Hall of Fame, and he won the Bering Award in Microbiology, and there are many other awards that I simply don't have time to mention. Well, he is a very learned person uh, in terms of infectious diseases, specifically about what's happening in the world right now with coronavirus. So, Dr. Viner, thank you so much for being here today. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, Daryl. You left out the part about little old country doctor, uh, which is usually the way I think of myself. Well, before you went to Dubuque, were you in uh, Leon for a bit? Uh, no, I, I was at Iowa City at the University Hospital for nine years uh, for medical school, internship, residency, and fellowship before going to Dubuque. Mm-hmm. But we, go, we have roots that go way back in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great-great-grandfather started his practice of medicine in Iowa Territory in 1846, followed by his son and then his grandson, Dr. Pierre Bernard, you know well, mm-hmm. and uh, then my father, and then my brother and I are the fifth generation, and our daughters are, are the sixth. Wow. Wow. Did you have experience doing the old-time house call Oh yes. doctor? Where, where did you... Uh, that was one of the things we did growing up because our father made house calls uh, mainly in the evenings and we could go along with him. And so we had uh, an early introduction to, to medicine. So a family physician, family business. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, you have done a lot outside of the small town family doctor you've obviously had a very successful career in infectious diseases and that um, career path has probably been pretty fascinating to be in right now i'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about the way things are being held right now and how america is dealing with the pandemic and also i'd love to talk to you a little bit about some of the history of the coronavirus leading up to today well, we've known about coronavirus in humans for many years, a hundred years, uh, and it's been in humans for a millennium before that. But uh, uh, there were only four human strains, and they, and all four of them caused what you'd call a common cold. Uh, the coronavirus wasn't really a very dangerous virus until 2001. That's when a coronavirus jumped from an animal into humans. It came from the palm civet in China. 
and it caused an infection of those exposed to palm civets. Surprisingly, there were many, uh, but the, because the market there sold them as a delicacy. What is a palm civet? Uh, it is a not very appealing uh, rodent uh, that they have in China, and fortunately, it doesn't live around the United States. Are we talking are we like a rat-sized yes. rodent? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, it was, the, the epidemic was SARS, uh, and uh, we now call it SARS-1 because uh, our recent stuff is caused by uh, SARS-CoV-2. Uh, there was, uh, there wasn't much person-to-person transmission of that uh, SARS virus originally. It did not spread much out of China, although there were, I think, a, a dozen cases in the United States that were imported from by travelers. Uh, and so that that epidemic died down in a matter of a few months. Uh, the next thing was a coronavirus that cropped up in Saudi Arabia. It was called MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, a very serious coronavirus. The virus was causing viral pneumonia that was very, uh, had a high mortality rate. That is, about half the people who had it could not be pulled through. that virus seems to have come from camels. Um, there wasn't much person-to-person transmission, and so that never became a pandemic. Unfortunately, last fall was when um, a, a very vicious coronavirus uh, that was similar to the SARS and MERS uh, emerged in China in Wuhan and was not contained there. It also had very easy person-to-person transmission. There are viruses that transmit easily and our current coronavirus COVID-19 is not the very worst. The most transmissible human virus we have is measles. Measles, uh, once a person uh, with active measles is coughing and sneezing, uh, you will soon find out who in the area uh, is non-immune. That one is uh, tremendously transmissible. Uh, The coronavirus is seriously transmissible. In fact, it's probably more transmissible than influenza. Uh, The influenza virus does sweep the world every winter, uh, and severe strains uh, will cause pandemics. Uh, But this COVID-19 pandemic Uh, is uh, slightly more transmissible, and we can see that with the way it has affected every country and continues to um, have serious person-to-person transmission. The rodent in China started SARS. 
Yeah, the camel starting the transmission for Mar, Mar- Mers. Mers. Mm-hmm. And this time it was known that it was a bat that was uh, the first leap. Is that true? I don't. I don't think that we know for certain. Uh, there are still um, some questions about the origin. Animals will have their own coronaviruses, and so bats do have coronaviruses. Did this one? Did our epidemic come from that? Uh, I don't. I'm not convinced yet. Hmm. Uh, so we're going to have to find out more. If if the Chinese were a little more uh, cooperative with the investigations hmm. uh, to this point, uh, we would be we, we'd know better, I think. So there's a worldwide um, effort to try to get rid of COVID-19, and seems like a lot of countries have done a pretty good job of isolating it and and the u.s is um, doing its own efforts and and it seems like some states are having more success than others and i'm wondering have you been called up to to help organize an effort or at least to to help offer insight i i was contacted uh back at the uh the start of uh, the U.S. epidemic just to give advice about our public health measures uh, in Iowa and particularly in, in Dubuque County um, where I've been active in public health for several decades. Um, and of course we didn't know all the answers uh, back in the early days but uh, uh, the, the uh, self-quarantine, social distancing, and uh, uh, one of my early recommendations was mask use because uh, this virus is mainly transmitted through respiratory droplets. Those uh, microscopic invisible uh, droplets which will be coughed or sneezed um, from an infected person and hang in the air. For hours, oh, and that's why uh, indoor exposures are risky. This is the method of transmission of influenza, also. And uh, I wanted people to, and I did start using a mask uh, immediately, because this is the main transmission route. Uh, because I've taken care of tuberculosis for decades. Uh, I was fortunate to have N95 masks that, mm. that I could wear to the grocery supply. store. Yes. <laughs> um, Were you one of the hoarders? No, I didn't. <laughs> I I had these left over. I'm, I've been retired, so I didn't go out and try to get more. <laughs> this episode is thanks to my patrons at patreon.com. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. You'll get early access to podcasts, songs, videos, and much more. Patreon.com slash Daryl Johnston. This episode is also brought to you by Adirondack Mountain Coffee. Located in the small town of Upper J, New York, in the heart of the Adirondack Mountains, they roast their coffee to perfection. And I've been drinking Hiker's Delight, and it is definitely an eye-opener. Visit adkmountaincoffee.com. That's adkmountaincoffee.com.
www.denaliefilmfestival.com. Also, thank you to an additional sponsor, the Denali Film Festival, taking place in Denali National Park, Alaska. For more information, visit denalifilmfestival.com. Would you recommend, then, that everyone wears a mask for yes. a while? Yes, yes. Um, when you're exposed uh, in indoors, especially... Uh, outdoors is not as as risky because ultraviolet light uh, will inactivate coronavirus and other viruses that might be in respiratory droplets. Hmm. Uh, but indoors is uh, the the more dangerous setting, and the more people, um, the more chance there is of someone shedding a virus. Mm-hmm. And remember how contagious this particular virus is. Mm-hmm. So are there things that we are hearing on the news that it's so politicized right now, but is, is there actual factual information like you say wearing masks, like you said that ultraviolet light can make them inactive. I've heard various things about the about light affecting mm-hmm. The about it affecting the the particles that are in the air. But what's the science? What is the science behind ultraviolet? Is a, a very good uh, prevention for viruses in the laboratory, and in fact, uh, we used ultraviolet bulbs uh, that go on when you turn off the uh, the regular lights uh, in the laboratory, so that ultraviolet will clear the air. Um, To treat uh, uh, a person's home or try to make a store um, clear is is a problem for ultraviolet because uh, ultraviolet light does not penetrate. It only treats uh, what's floating in the air. Very limited on um, on treating surfaces, certainly not penetrating surfaces. And there's also the problem that ultraviolet can be um, unhealthy for the human cornea. Mm. And so it, you can't have indiscriminate uh, use of ultraviolet as a, uh, as a preventive treatment. I strongly recommend masks. I know you are correct that there's a lot of politicization about mask use, should it be mandatory? Well, that's, uh, you know, we don't have the mask police, and I don't, I don't want us to have mask police. And so do you want to make a confrontation uh, for people who, uh, for some reason, cannot or will not use masks? Well, I think it's better to have everyone voluntarily and patriotically get that mask on when when they go to the store. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating to hear you say that the coronavirus isn't new, and that we've been we've we've seen strains of it before. Can you talk a little bit more about the history of the human strain? You talked about the yes. MERS and SARS. Is there other strains that we might not know about? Um. Other strains conceivably could jump from animals to humans. Uh, this particular one is uh, the worst 
uh, coronavirus that uh, humankind is, has ever encountered, I believe. Um, and uh, uh, the four traditional human strains uh, lacked the, uh, um, the ability to make viral pneumonia. They'd infect uh, the nose and sinus hmm. and maybe the throat. But this virus is so much more aggressive that it quickly moves from the nose and sinus down the throat, down the trachea uh, to the lung where it uh, can do very serious and even permanent uh, damage to the alveoli. Hmm. That's, that's the problem when a person gets infected, you know, they, they need oxygen, uh, but if, they, if that's not enough, the ventilator must be used. But if the alveoli are seriously and beyond the point of no return damaged, uh, then um, it, it's very difficult to save a person in that situation. Al alveoli being the, the tiny hairs in the, the lung? The air sacs where oxygen uh, and carbon dioxide are exchanged. And so a person lacks oxygen going to the rest of the body. The COVID-19 virus not only doesn't stop there either. Uh, it, uh, it disseminates throughout the body. Uh, it will cause damage in other areas. Uh, nerve cells, brain cells um, are, can also be affected. The heart uh, is also affected, and there's an increase of um, what we would call viral myocarditis and heart attacks when people are infected with this particular coronavirus. Hmm. What we really need is a vaccine, an immunization that will tell a human's host's uh, immune system to produce the antibodies that will uh, neutralize the virus as soon as it gets into the nose. And it'll stop the complications and the viral pneumonia that uh, uh, cause the mortality of this particular pandemic. So you are a contemporary somewhat of Dr. Fauci. Would you say that's true? Uh, yes. Uh, Dr. Fauci is a very important leader in the, um, the fight against HIV-AIDS. And um, uh, during that period of time when I was in practice, of course, that was a, uh, a major area for me too. And so um, I know him from meetings, uh, conferences, um, as head of the uh, National Institute of Health. Uh, he also, I had some patients who had uh, unusual uh, immunology problems that had to had to go to NIH uh, for uh, special research. Hmm. Have you found so you, he's a respected doctor and oh yes okay mm -hmm. great. That has been my experience as well, mm -hmm. <laughs> having no medical degree. You know, this isn't the first pandemic we've, we've had in the United States. 
The one that uh, takes the cake is uh, the influenza pandemic of 1918. Uh, we've had a, a very serious mortality rate from COVID-19, but I, I hate to tell you, uh, the 1918 influenza pandemic had about 10 times uh, the uh, mortality wow. that oh, this has had. That was the Spanish flu? Uh, yes. Is, what is the medical term for the Spanish flu? Uh, it was H1N1 influenza, uh, a very infectious airborne virus that swept the world. They called it Spanish influenza uh, because at the time World War I was raging and the Spanish were neutral. And the, the King of Spain had, had the influenza and it's in all the papers and the press in France and Germany, where it was also raging, uh, suppressed the information. And so it became known as Spanish influenza, although it didn't start in Spain. Mm. Wow. Um, so it was politicized early on as well. Well, yes. Yes. The, uh, the, the name was uh, certainly uh, politicized. Uh, that particular epidemic in the United States killed 670,000 uh, people. Wow. And mainly over about a six-week period. Whoa. That, that shut down society uh, like you wouldn't believe. Hmm. Uh, much, um, you know, there, there was much more uh, general anxiety and, um, in the public at that time. Everything closed. Um, and uh, they couldn't, they, the funeral homes couldn't bury people quick, uh, wow. fast enough. Uh, if that epidemic had occurred with the population that we have now, uh, it would have taken one to two million in the United States. Wow. Worldwide, the 1918 influenza pandemic is thought to have killed uh, 50 million people. And uh, it's, uh, the, the numbers in the United States are uh, pretty clear on how, how many people died, but in places like India, mm. uh, they, they don't have uh, an actual count of, mm -hmm. of that kind of a public health measure. Uh, but they did notice at the next uh, census the pen the population had decreased by eight percent. Wow. Wow, that's huge. In India, no less. Yeah. That's a yes. ton of people. Yeah, and and it uh, uh, influenza, unlike coronavirus, can be spread by some animals. Hmm. Uh, influenza infects pigs, horses, and birds. Hmm. That includes ducks and chickens. And right. uh, when influenza uh, swept the world in 1918, it found its way to remote islands. 
remote villages in the Arctic. Mm, for migrating birds. And it's probably the birds that did it. Wow. Uh, people also, of course, spread it where they traveled, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, that that pandemic was the reason World War One ended. Hmm. There were ten times uh, as many fatalities due to that virus than there were from warfare. Wow! And uh, the uh, the armies in Europe were they reached a point where they couldn't fight anymore. Huh. Wow. Well, that is a humbling series of humbling statistics to hold up against today. So what do we have to be hopeful for moving forward? Is this an indefinite thing or will it end eventually? Uh, it will end eventually, I believe. Um, I had hoped it would be tailing off by this time of year, but it hasn't tailed off that much. What we really need is the immunization, uh, and and that is proceeding at a rapid pace. Um, and once we have that, it's going to make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. uh, but until that happens, I think that um, uh, the masks will be necessary. Uh, there are, of course, the the people who have the highest mortality rate are the elderly and those who are infirm with other conditions like diabetes, obesity, COPD. Um, those elderly need to be protected and so our nursing homes uh, must uh, continue to be vigilant and uh, visitation is probably going to continue to be restricted um, and, until we get the, the immunization going. Mm. And they certainly are putting a lot of effort. Um, people criticize our government for um, not responding as they should. Well, that's not, that's not the case. Uh, the government has made unbelievable um, response. And uh, the, uh, the, the testing has been developed and is becoming uh, more and more available. Uh, we have new antiviral treatment. Uh, remdesivir is a very effective treatment, uh, it seems, at this point. And, uh, and that's, a, that's really a, a new medication. That has not been available for commercial use before. Uh, but if we can treat people before they reach that um, you know, advanced viral pneumonia point, uh, then it can uh, turn things around. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this January or December even, is that crazy to think that it, an, an immunization might be run by then? Uh, it, it is, it, it may be possible by December. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies, I think they... There are 17 that are developing vaccine, and even while they're testing it, some of the companies are ramping up to actually produce the vaccine even before it's gone through all of its proving, so that when it... Just in case. Yeah, when it is shown to be effective and safe, they can, they're not 
having to gear up and, and produce it then. Yeah. So uh, it, uh, the, um, the advances are aggressive. Mm. Well, that's great to hear. I'm encouraged to hear that and your perspective on it from the, the medical side and that people are working tirelessly. Yes, when, when, when they get it, they'll have a, uh, they'll probably immunize um, healthcare workers and first responders and then the elderly, mm-hmm. then the infirm. And, and you know, it'll, um, it'll work its way to everybody. Mm-hmm. Right now, virtually everybody can get influenza immunization and should. Uh, anyone over six months of age should get it. Uh, right now, we are usually ordering 100 to 120 million doses every season to immunize against influenza. And and the epidemic comes every year. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the, the, the definite step that people can take going into next winter uh, to be sure to be protected against influenza. Mm -hmm. There are 300 million people in the United States, so you can tell uh, from the number of immunizations that are produced that not everybody is taking it, but we need to improve that, those numbers. Mm -hmm. We need to to get everybody immunized. All right, Dr. Viner, I've asked you a lot of questions, and thank you for shedding a lot of light on the pandemic and some of the history of the coronavirus and sharing your knowledge about all of that. And I have, my next question is much easier and it's a question that I ask every guest um, for a book recommendation. It doesn't have to be your favorite book, but just a book that you thought was interesting that you think people ought to read. Well, of course, <clears throat> COVID doesn't have books written about it yet because it's, <laughs> it's brand new. And uh, the really good books about it will have to have a little more historical perspective when they're written uh, one or two years from now. But the book that I think of is a book entitled Flu, A History of the 1918 Pandemic of Influenza, written by Gina Collada. Uh, It not only describes the pandemic uh, at that time, but it also uh, follows up with the very interesting um, work that was done to reconstruct that virus uh, and the efforts um, from the University of Iowa in 1951 to go to Alaska to sample lung tissue from uh, victims buried in permafrost. It's a fascinating story. Uh, the 1951 uh, trip wasn't was not totally successful, but the follow-up to the same uh, village and the same grave uh, in uh, around 1996 uh, ultimately uh, did identify and. Uh, the, the virus with work done at the National Institute of Health. Fascinating story, Gina Collada's book, Flu, the history of the 1918 influenza pandemic. Wow, it's cool that there is a strong Alaska connection because we just, the last few people I've talked to, I obviously have a connection to Alaska, 
talked about permafrost a lot in previous episodes. It's cool to have it come full circle to the flu and the coronavirus as well. Great. John, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your book recommendation, and I hope you stay healthy moving forward. You too. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Remember, just ask your smart speaker to play the Highway Walkers podcast. Thanks again to my sponsors, patrons on patreon.com, and a special thanks to you for tuning in. Until next time.